Welcome to the 1CA Podcast. This is your host, Jack Gaines. 1CA is a product of the Civil Affairs Association and brings in people who are current or former military, diplomats, development officers, and field agents to discuss their experiences on ground with the partner nation's people and leadership. Our goal is to inspire anyone interested in working the last three feet of foreign relations. To contact the show, email us at capodcasting at gmail.com or look us up on the Civil Affairs Association website at www.civilaffairsassos.org. I'll have those in the show notes. If you don't have your uh, natural resources protection, if you don't have these governance tools that can help maintain that area, then yeah, you're going to lose your culture. You're going to lose that identity that made that country what it is. Please welcome Angie Smith, environmental scientist and civil affairs officer. Angie and her team travel globally to partner nations to assess resource use and advise on sustainable development. Her team has helped countries like the Marshall Islands with resource management to mitigate climate change. In this episode, Angie will talk about her trade and how it helps the U.S. build foreign relations in the international community. In a future episode, she will come back with their new partner, Wisconsin University. So let's get started. You are a part of the 351 and you are an environmental scientist, right? That's correct. Okay. Can you give me a five second on what an environmental scientist does? An environmental scientist is more of a generalist. So I get the the absolute pleasure to know a little bit about a whole lot of different topics. But typically what I'm doing is reviewing different concepts, different parameters, and then bringing all of those pieces together to start making the puzzle look like it's meant to be something more than just different pieces. So yeah, it's exciting. I look at everything from natural resources to cultural resources to socioeconomic impacts to you name it. It's probably something that I have looked at or reviewed at some point. So what you explained kind of sounds like someone who does general assessments on a population and then comes out with solutions that help whatever goal that person is trying to do. Is that similar to what you're talking about? Yeah, I would say that's definitely on the right track. My role is more focused on is working with municipalities or other public entities. So not necessarily just a private individual, but more of a community approach and and really looking at things from all vantages. So yeah, my current role, I'm really doing that environmental review for proposed infrastructure or other types of development projects. Okay. And then also looking at things from a sustainability or climate resilience approach. That is the part I geek out about. Right. Um, don't get me wrong. I want to follow laws and regulations and all of that other fun stuff, but give me some sustainability and climate resilience challenges and let's let's run. I can't wait. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people, myself included, when we first hear about environmental science and construction or development, we think of it as an inhibitor. But I'll be honest, the best communities that people want to live in have some type of green belt. They have an environmental space. You know, like New York City, that elevated highway that they turned into a walking green zone. You know, people love that stuff. You know, and, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, why not? I don't understand why it is such a hangup. And I think it's because... People who develop are looking at square footage profit, and they're not thinking about the long-term profitability or taxation of you know the land and the development around it. Because if you have a green zone, you're going to have high value around it. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, and that's the cool part about this is 
kind of that paradigm shift of the environmental or natural or cultural resources as a barrier and bringing them more into the opportunity mentality. So I work with engineers every day and it's, it's getting them out of that, but we have to build all of this stuff and make it firm and hardscape. And <laughs> yeah, but, but that's not going to always increase your property value. And that's not necessarily where the people, I don't know too many folks that want to go have a picnic on a sidewalk. I mean, I think most folks want to go have a picnic in a park, right? but call me crazy. <laughs> other people have. So that that's cool. I'm good with it. Yeah. You know, I was a former tree hugging dirt worshiper and <laughs> I'm probably still hold some of that deer, hold it really dear. Right. I mean, as a former Peace Corps volunteer, I think that you have to be at some level, but also I understand the role of development and I understand how we can find a balance with what we're trying to do yeah. and still protect and preserve at the same time. So it's, it's really interesting to see the problem sets and how we can get innovative with it. So as an environmental engineer, have you used any of these kind of skills overseas for the military? I have. And luckily I'm not an engineer, so I don't have to know that much math. <laughs> I, I get to be, Oh man, don't, don't give me any math equations. I just would be sunk. It's, it's hard enough to add and subtract some days. <laughs> so yeah, I, I have, I've had the opportunity actually recently, there was a small team of us, team of three from the three, five, one civil affairs command. And we had the opportunity to go to the Marshall islands. Oh. And while we were there, we did some climate change, mm -hmm. some sustainability and some women, peace and security assessments there on the ground, uh, mostly in Kwajalein Atoll, okay. which is part of like the U S army garrison Kwajalein Atoll is there. And uh, one of the main cities, Ebai, right next door, just a 20 minute ferry right away. That's where the majority of the workers for the base actually live. So it was really amazing to see that space to work and build partnerships and relationships with some of the, the local government officials there. Hmm. They are so knowledgeable about all of the different things going on and ways that they're supporting themselves already and the partnerships they've created globally. And, you know, we're going in of, hey, what can we be doing to further some of these ideas, these programs, these projects? But yeah, it was it was really an amazing trip. And we're hoping to make this uh, a more regular opportunity to go over and work with different partners, can continue some of the assessments that we started, build additional stability and and leverage those those relationships. And right. Isn't the Marshall Islands about to host the Pacific Games? Yes, they are. Yeah, they had just completed a huge stadium. Our tour guide extraordinaire, Master <laughs> <laughs> and John Phillips. Oh my gosh, amazing guy. Um, he was showing us around a lot of the different areas. Right. And yeah, the stadium they built was really incredible. But they were trying to figure out where they were going to house a lot of the visitors and the athletes that were coming in. Right. Yeah, there's not much land base, you know, there's, there's a whole lot of water. There's a lot of water, not a lot of land. A lot of water. Yeah. Well, it's an interesting challenge, but there is, there are a lot of options too, because there are a lot of islands in the area. Yes, there are a lot of islands. It's just figuring out what that infrastructure and what those opportunities look like. Right. But yeah, it was, it was an interesting place to be and I can't wait to get back over there at some point. Uh, but yeah, it was, I mean, the Marshall Islands, you know, they're one of these low-lying atoll systems that they're dealing with climate change now. Right. This isn't looking at things in 10 years or things in 20 years. They're seeing it now. And I mean, that's happening around the globe, but 
I think when you talk to the Marshallese, they can give you stories just in this generation. What, what's been going on, what's happening right. from king tides and overwash and saltwater intrusion and all these different issues yeah. that they're trying to figure out how to deal with. Hmm. It's really interesting. Have you considered translating that into a paper on defense preparation on environmental issues? We are actually working on that right now. So we have our phase one assessment report still in draft format, but we're anticipating having this ready to go here in the next couple of weeks. Okay. And it's already been seen by some folks at the Army War College and at the Office of the Assistant Secretary of the Army okay. for Installations, Energy, and Environment. So there's already been interest and intrigue identified by some of these other institutions. And we plan on pushing this out far and wide of, hey, this is what we're seeing now. This is, these are some of the assessments that we've already looked at. And here are some opportunities for continued DOD partnership and engagement and collaboration with Department of State, USAID, Asia Development Bank, you know, a lot of our other partners that we work with in and around the Indo-Pacific region. Right. Yeah. And what an amazing opportunity, you know, we have here in the civil affairs realm and especially through the 38 golf program too, where subject matter experts coming in direct commission into the military. Right. And how many relationships are already established and what that networking capability can be to bring in and leverage all of this. It's such an interesting path forward. And I think we're, we're really starting to identify how this can facilitate real world assessments and not just a, okay, go support this exercise. Right. And, Oh, why don't you go over there for two days? Hey, how about we build and establish ongoing relationships? Absolutely. It makes us great consultants <laughs> yes we are such good consultants we're oh my military gosh. consultants we fly around and we we give our professional opinion from our we professional are. backgrounds and oh it's worth gosh. a lot of money and and so it's a it's a hell of a deal for all these commands to have us you're you know not I mean? even joking man if you paid me what the consultant world does whoo <laughs> dod budget better get a little bit more yeah and maybe that's <laughs> what we need to show is that the value of a consultancy when Ben Flossie goes somewhere and does, you know, consulting, <laughs> yes. they used to say, you know, you got it for this amount, but this is how much he normally charges. <laughs> right. Here's what you paid. Now, let's give you that actual proposal. Here's our scope of services. Yeah, Merry Christmas. Exactly. <laughs> Happy holidays and all the above. No, that's awesome. That, what a great point. And I think you also bring up that whole notion of Ben Flossie is part of the 351. You know, he's one of my colleagues out there. And mm -hmm. we come at these problem sets in the military mindset. So we're looking at national strategies and defense and stability and all that stuff. But we have this multidisciplinary integrated sure. approach that you don't always find at this level of expertise, even within a consultant for sometimes. So I think that's, man, leverage, leverage the resources you have. Let's keep working real world engagements. Yeah. Awesome. Well, one thing that's, Interesting is being a guy with a radio show, I get people call me up and say, hey, can we go for a walk? And we talked about foreign policy and, you know, we, we bounced some ideas back and forth and, mm -hmm. and I gave a CA solution. I said, this agency can do this, this agency can mm -hmm. do that. And, and the practices that allow the marshals and plow and other islands to have a relationship with the U.S. and China and other competitors but also maintain their sovereignty and not get a surprise election where someone out of the blue who's totally in support of Russia, China, Iran, totally throwing out all policy yeah. in support of that nation, becoming a proxy, basically. Yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah, because I mean, that's not what we're looking to do. You know, we want to build that sovereignty. We want to help maintain that stability. And what better way to do it than start to identify some of these relationships and partnerships? Yeah. 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 Good, good with your CDA-ness. <laughs> you go with your bad self. Well, because what I've found is countries that when they start to lose their sovereignty, they also lose their culture. Yeah. That's when you get Colonel Jesse coming in here and saying, wait a minute, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> They have their own reality. Leave them alone, you know? So Embrace your inner Nancy Reagan and just say no. (laughs) Yes, that's amazing. No, absolutely. And that whole idea of the intersection of all these different uh, areas as well. Like, yeah, if you don't have stability, if you don't have your uh, natural resources protection, if you don't have these governance tools that can help maintain that area, then yeah, you're going to lose your culture. You're going to lose that identity that made that country what it is. And what a, what a sad day if that does go away. Yeah. Yeah. We're, I'm, we're really lucky out of the three, five, one, two, cause we've got, let's see, four. Oh, wow. Of our six Victor, the heritage preservation officers, they're within our team and man, what an amazing group of experts. It's just incredible to hear uh, what everybody brings to the table, but you know, just all the different pieces of the puzzle. It's, it's really interesting. And I tell you, if folks aren't aware of the, these opportunities in this program that we have at the different civil affairs commands and across the CA force, right. you're missing out leverage, leverage what you got. Yeah. It's interesting. You brought up the, the PRC influence in the marshals. And I mean, that's really happening. You know, if you look at across the Indo-Pacific, across AFRICOM, uh, all these different areas that there's so much influence Mm -hmm. coming into play. And what is it? What are these unique things that we can bring to the table that might outshine or outpromote? And I think you brought it up with the ILO's international law officers and and, uh, some of those other folks that can really come in and provide training and uh, reviews of policy or guidelines or all of those different types of things, I think really makes a lot of sense. And the women, peace and security perspective too, I think is an absolute inroad. Yeah. And it's, it's definitely a feature that, you know, is a differentiator that we can use to promote the U S brand over the Chinese, because if all they're doing is, you know, Mel bravado and we're trying to show a mix of culture and community and, you know, ethnicities and male, men and things. women working together. Yeah, if we show a better mix, probably better mirror the actual on-ground relationships that people right, have in that right. community. And then how does that translate into some of these areas, like um, my tree-hugging, dirt-worshipping side of the house of, <laughs> you know, we you can actually prevent conflict sometimes through natural resources or cultural resources preservation. Uh, I mean, if you, if you look at this on like a more global scale or big picture scale, water scarcity desertification, deforestation, like these concepts actually move and could create instability that leads towards do. conflict. So they absolutely do. Yeah. And so what can we be doing on the front end to keep that stability in these affected regions and and help build more resilience and more sustainability and sustainable mindsets right. around the world? It's a call of trust because the, the reason Absolutely. that deforestation yeah. happens yeah. is people are in a mad rush to get the resources before their neighbor gets it and make all the money they can before it runs out. And so by right. building resources, it takes trust and kind of a partnership attitude. So it's, 
Yeah. It's difficult. It's difficult because it absolutely is. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll be honest, the last few hundred years where we've merged from a colonial mindset where, you know, the king to wipe out all the, all the rubber in central Africa because he wanted to get wealthy. And it's those kind of mindsets that we need to overcome. And I, th- I think there is a, a level of corporate responsibility that's starting to grow out of these multinationals where they're like, okay, if we deforest all of Southeast Asia and put palm oil trees, we're not going to do well. It's going to infuriate the world. Right. It's going to cause a public reaction yep. because it's too much. But by trying to balance the growth of palm oil with sustainability or buying and preserving land out of respect, I think that that is a reasonable yeah, way. Yeah, I would agree. Out. Each global area is going to have a, a unique situation or unique problem. Sure. And then us being able to come in and assist, you know, we're not going to be the saviors by any means. We're just going to help facilitate solutions and help facilitate partnerships and efforts to, to really look at how this can move forward and how that resilience can be internally created too. Sure. So I think you're absolutely right. The corporate responsibility, responsibility of key global powers are absolutely integral to ensuring that moves forward. And we've worked with countries and built good relationships where leadership or the corporate inner circle have run that country into the ground. Yeah, and and we've true. done everything yeah. we can. And it's just the choice of, of those people and their leaders to run an oligarchy or to, you know, run a kleptocracy or, or you know, a, a state that just doesn't support, isn't sustainable. But it's at least we're there to talk to them. And, and this is something I've talked to folks at aid about, you know, yeah, you know, we're in places like Rwanda where it's really a one party state, you know, very, fr- it's a very friendly police state, you know, but we're there, we're partnering with them. We're giving them options. We're trying to show them ways to diversify their government so that when Kagame finally, you know, gives up leadership, there's some type of secession. So it doesn't go to chaos. Right. Because anytime yeah. there's a revolution, every time there's, you know, chaos on the street, it usually ends with a strong man taking power. Right. So the better we can manage our relationships with these folks and build up their sovereignty and longevity, the more stable the different regions around the world become. And that's what we really need is in our international partners so that we can promote trade and security and, you know, diplomacy. Right. Yep. In the long term. Yeah, exactly. And I think that that's the direction that we need to continue pushing. Right. right. What are those creative solutions? Yeah. Who are the smart people out there coming up with all this stuff? You know, people are <laughs> a lot smarter than me. I tell you what, man, I, it's going to be, I can't wait to see what some of this is going to look like moving into the future. Yeah. How do you see CA teams working around the world using environmental research to further their cooperation with partner nations? How do they incorporate that? Like we have a CA team, that is in uh, the Agadez. And they do a lot of economic outreach. They do a lot of cultural outreach. How do they bring in environmental science? Is that the best way to say it? Yeah, environmental science, natural resources management can kind of go a few different routes. Um, Because if you just think of environmental science as a whole, there's so many different avenues you can bring into play there. And I'll tell you, I mean, now that, so this is the 38 Golf 4 Echo program that mm-hmm. is the environmental science, natural resources. However, I first got qualified 
back in 2016 before that specific skill identifier existed. So I actually came in through the sixth uniform, which is the agriculture. Yeah, because I, I came oh, wow. in through the forestry okay, and fisheries side of agriculture, which is also some of my background is that, you know, water quality for fish management and forest health and all that other stuff. So anyway, back to your question. So what can CA teams do out there in the world? First and foremost is them just being aware of what you could do or what that assessment could look like from asking questions and being aware of your surroundings and not necessarily just one specific area of expertise, but diversify. If you think of the 38 alphas and all the other letters that come into play now, I can't remember them all, like Sierra, whatever the new ones for the active side. The, yeah, all those fun new ones. Um, they are generalists and, and that makes perfect sense. So coming at this problem set, community assessment from a generalist mindset, but for the environmental specifically and the natural resources side specifically, you know, they can look at what are happening with the resources in that area. Are resources being harvested? Are resources being decimated or destroyed? Uh, is there deforestation? Is Are there massive like natural disasters? And what do those disasters look like from a disaster response, you know, that perspective as well? It all ties together. It's There's this web. But looking at things from the environmental challenges, what is what, what are those things that we can protect or preserve? Mm -hmm. Where are there areas that are being conserved and uh, potentially restored? Like uh, I think these Indo-Pacific islands, uh, you know, some of the coastal regions. And if, if they had more of the vegetation remaining, maybe some of those shorelines would still be protected. Right. But, you know, that's a, it's a tough, it's tough to identify all of the different things, but yeah, you can at least start with some of the basics and look at resource scarcity and is, is there adequate water? Is there arable land and room for agriculture? Right. What, what are the energy sources? What, what are they using for energy? Is it uh, renewable? Is it diesel? Is it, you know, what? It, what's the case there? So, so many different paths, so many different paths. And then you have this amazing group of four echo people, you know, I'm biased, but I'm going to toot it. <laughs> you can drop uh, a dime and say, come on out here. We've got people burning exactly. manure and it's a, it's a metropolitan hey. city. What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And uh, Yes, I'm talking about you, Cobble. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but if there's ways that we can start addressing some of these environmental challenges that are, are really impacting key areas, um, sure. Can we reduce the excuse me reduce the potential for conflict? Can we strengthen our diplomatic ties and some of our foreign policy? Can we influence like different global resources and those relationships you were hitting on earlier? Right. I think it's just finding ways to create more stability and more resilience is just going to lead to that, uh, that, I don't know. Yeah. Just going to improve what we're trying to do. For a CA team that's out doing an assessment of an, a town, a village, an area, region, and a nation, the, the trick with the environmental assessment is to look at the resource build the resource draw and try to find ways to help build stability. Is that, kind of the way that's it 
it's almost like you've done these podcasts before where you can summarize somebody's rambling <laughs> and put it in something succinct in like 10 words or less. So I applaud you. <laughs> you know, and the funny yeah, thing is, like is that. that you'll say it and I'll be able to respond and it's going to be the miracle of editing. <laughs> it makes it sound so, so put together. Brilliant. That's incredible. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And it's, it's really, I am a planner. So that's my brain. That's how my brain works is, all right, where are we? Where are we trying to get to? How do we get there? Mm -hmm. And then it's also, I, I like to keep things as simple as possible sometimes, not always, but sometimes. Right. And then looking at this from a keep, stop, start type mentality of, okay, what's working? Let's keep doing those things. What's not working? Let's not do those things anymore. And then what aren't we doing that will help us get us where we need to go? Right. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, it's that simple. So, how do you fire people to get into environmental science? Have you read the Lorax? That's that cartoon. It right? is. It's Dr. Seuss. Yeah. Yeah. It's even a movie. Okay. You can go look at the, the fluffalump trees or whatever they're called. But, fluffalump um, trees. Okay. So, <laughs> that's, Lorax, that's is, accurate, but Lorax yeah. is the, uh, the symbol of environmental science. Gotcha. <laughs> Probably shouldn't go that route. Saint, I'm sure it's copyrighted. Should we get a bobblehead and put it on our dash while we Ooh, drive around? Oh, dang! I like this idea. This is <laughs> this is going in the right direction. Maybe you could be the Lorax for Halloween next year. That'd be perfect. <laughs> Me, I'm not the environmental scientist. You go be. But the you Lorax. you exude all of these different visitors to your podcast and your show. Right. I'm the, I'm the moderator. I would be a pool of warm water. Uh, <laughs> not too hot, excellent. not too cold. Thanks. Everyone gets along. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, what would be our mascot? That's a great uh, question. I think uh, that might be a, would a you be? problem set we need to solve here soon. I mean, you know, there's all the... Okay. We can have a tree or a water drop. Although there's a water infrastructure skill identifier that's that's for a future conversation our six golf fellows right yeah i'll think about that i'll come up with a good mascot mm -hmm. i think i'll i'll get the team involved and okay if not i'm going to call china and have a, a lorax bobblehead built and shipped out dang so. it maybe this can be the first <laughs> research solution that we get our yeah. mou partner involved in what is the mascot for University of Wisconsin oh, yeah. Madison. You University of Wisconsin. They'll probably want to use. Oh, right, they'll probably want to use their mascot and say, "This is a perfect one." I don't know if that would fly. I mean, I went to Indiana <laughs> University for my master's program, and the Hoosiers don't have a mascot, so maybe there's no mascot. Exactly. That's what is that a Hoosier? Is what is sixty-five thousand dollars question? I mean, beyond you know. <laughs> Well, according to Wikipedia, I mean, let's see. It is just the official name for people of the state of Indiana. Oh, okay. See. Yeah, inhabitant of Indiana. But it says a native. Yeah. So I figured it was a I, Native American. I don't think a Native American. I think a Native individual that lived there. Not necessarily oh, okay. Native so, American. oh, wait, wait, wait. Maybe you don't have to delete everything. It comes Just from stop. the word Husa, which means American Indian maize or corn. So it's corny people. Yes. Huh. Uh -huh. Shouldn't that be Nebraska? That's such a dad so? joke. <laughs> That's a Ted Lasso joke right there. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say own it, work it, keep yeah. it rolling. Sorry, Apple, it. don't sue me. 
(laughs) (laughs) Not this time. Yeah. (laughs) Not this time. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that can be our first problem set with our colleagues over there at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. When did did you get plugged in with them? Yeah. So I, let's see, the the MOU, the partnership agreement was signed back in April of this year. So. And you haven't had any projects with them yet? We are working on our first training event right now. So Captain Russell Martin and myself, we have been serving as the OIC's officers in charge for this partnership agreement. And we've been meeting with university personnel for probably every other week over the, pretty much since the MOU got signed in April. Okay. So we're moving forward right now. We have a um, training program in the works and this will be taking place next May. May 19th through the 24th, technically 20th through the 24th, but you know, as military personnel, we need a travel day right. to start things off. Yeah. I have so to have my coffee. The, exactly. <laughs> exactly. You got it. You're not even kidding. No. <laughs> yeah. So, so this is the, um, it's the environmental management for the operational environment, fondly known as emo. That might be your mascot is an emo. It might be. It might be. And our theme song is going to be something from The Cure. I'm sure of it. Uh, maybe. I don't know. We'll, we'll keep you posted. Yeah. So this training event. E-M-O. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Emo is my name. Oh. <laughs> okay. That was bad. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. Keeps it more fun that way. Yeah. 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 So this training event, it's actually pretty exciting. We've got some draft topics already in the works and there's going to be we're going to bring in an mdmp look at uh, environmental management but we're really going to look at things from a whole of government approach adaptive management Uh, we're going to go do a site visit to a former military munitions site and look at environmental remediation and ecological restoration opportunities so It's actually, it's really exciting. Uh, this is the first run for this, but I'm anticipating this being hopefully an annual training event for folks in the civil affairs community. So, yeah, yeah it'll you, be Are you bringing cool. faculty and students or what? Which one? So, faculty will be part of uh, some of the guest lecturers that are going to okay. be brought in. So, we're working closely with uh, several folks from the Nelson Institute for Environmental Studies there at the University of Wisconsin Madison. Right. And uh, they're identifying different people that are going to make sense to have as guest lecturers. And then from the military side, we are going to try to pull from every, you know, civil affairs, obviously, but there's always, uh, are also the army environmental command. Sure. Uh, the Corps of engineers has yes. huge environmental footprint. I mean, I used to work for the Corps back in the day, back uh, a while back in the St. Louis district. So knowing the environmental restoration and mitigation that comes through that entity as well. So yeah, it's, it's pretty exciting. Also, we even have a session in here about traditional and cultural environmental knowledge. Uh, I don't know exactly how that's going to unfold yet, but that's such a critical piece for some of these communities where we're working and where we're trying to build resilience around the world. Hmm. Is that kind of like, like an environmental shaman? They come in and... Uh, Back in my day, the snow hit this level of the peak, but in my grandfather's day, it reached over to here. And oh, Lord. That kind of thing. You, you got to work on your shaman voice, but yeah, <laughs> something like that. Uh, yeah, and even like traditional leaders. And um, you think of the, well, having just been in the Marshall Islands, that's probably what's coming to my mind the most is, you know, some of their navigation 
Oh, sure. Wow. Holy moly. It's just, how do you navigate by the tides across all of these hundreds of miles of ocean between some of these atolls? It's just incredible. Right. But yeah, building in the traditional knowledge to environmental management in a common era. Very interesting. That makes sense. I mean, if you need a low cost solution for bringing, you know, wood from one island to another, you know, actually breaking into some of the the historic ways in which things were transported would make Mm -hmm. sense. Yeah. So, and and what we want to do is you look at that traditional cultural relationship to the land and it was more sustainable than what we've created in our modern day. So what can we be doing to institute or reinstitute some of that while also really looking at these new technologies and new approaches to some of the, the issues that we're dealing with now. So I think we're finding that balance between traditional and new technology and trying to mesh them. That's cool. Now, if you're working with Wisconsin, I mean, yes. Have you found a lot of interest with students and faculty or actually in, in your daily life with other people coming into civil affairs to, to work this trade, to become an environmental scientist within civil affairs? What's, what's been the feedback so far? It's been really interesting because I've been in the military now for 18 years and congratulations. You're almost to get your 20 year letter. Oh my, I'm so close. You will put it on a stick and wave it around like a flag. Ah, what are you saying? I already have my 20 year letter. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's going to be amazing. Okay. Let's see. Where were we? We were talking about recruiting, how to get get people interested in the program. Right. Yeah. So I I was mentioning that this is the first time where I've really had this amazing overlap between what I do in the civilian world and it translating so well into what I'm now doing in the military. So when I'm looking at sustainable solutions to infrastructure issues or when I'm looking at climate resilience for local communities, that is exactly the direction that we want to be looking with some of our partner nations around the world. Sure. And it, it's so cool to be able to say, check this out. Look how cool this program is. And I think we are getting a lot of interest and a lot of intrigue by professors, by academics, by students. Uh, will it solve our recruiting issues? I don't know. But uh, we are getting some amazing, amazing talent that are now coming in as direct commission officers off the street. And I'll tell you, some of the folks I'm working with, um, I have a really close relationship with Major Alcho, who he and I are working on the Six Golf, which is the water infrastructure MOU partnership with the Water Council. And I mean, he's a vice president of Xylem Corporation. I mean, what an incredible asset and right. his network and connections. It's like, holy moly, this is incredible. Look what we are doing now within the civil affairs realm. I mean, that's awesome. Those guys always give me a giggle because I'll be sitting there and they're like, you know, and I always get the, so you're all a bunch of soldiers. (laughs) (laughs) Wait a second. Yes, I'm a soldier. So do anybody really actually know what you're talking about? It's like, yes, (laughs) yes, I do. You don't get it as much with you guys because you kind of come in with an introduction. Right. Yeah, because nobody knows what we do or why we exist. So we got to introduce ourselves. But I, I'm sure it doesn't take them long to realize that, you know, this is not only what you do right. for the military, it's what you love and you have a professional side too. And especially when you come in with someone who's a CEO of a major company right. and say, well, he's actually on the outside. Whoa, whoa, no way. Like, whoa, oh, really? Oh, okay. That's, That's amazing. 
Yeah, it's pretty incredible. I mean, what an asset and what an amazing (laughs) opportunity to not only serve in the capacity where we serve our country, but also to to find these translation opportunities, these intersections between our civilian and and military careers. I mean, doctors and lawyers and all those folks have been doing this for a long time, but now we get to bring in these other professionals. It's pretty awesome. Oh, sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Hey, I was thinking, do you have anyone at the at the Wisconsin campus that is working the partnerships that you'd like to bring on the show? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's three immediate names that come to mind, and I would reach out to them and help establish this relationship if possible and get them on. Oh, it'll be great. Yeah. And let me know when you want to come back on with the Wisconsin team or if they want to set up a forum you know, through the center. I think that'd be great. Yeah, I'll see if we can get that scheduled and I'll I'll have uh, some respect. Okay, I can moderate. Let cool. me know. Awesome. I like All it. All right, talk soon. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you get a chance, please like and subscribe and rate the show on your favorite podcast platform. Also, if you're interested in coming on the show or hosting an episode, email us at capodcasting at gmail.com. And now, most importantly, to those currently out in the field, working with a partner nation's people or leadership to forward U.S. relations. Thank you all for what you're doing. This is Jack, your host. Stay tuned for more great episodes. One CA podcast.